I bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In this broadcast, we shall be discussing permanent resurrection being the second resurrection in the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. We had earlier discussed temporary resurrection and we said temporary resurrection itself is made up of two kinds, the physical and the spiritual. Physical resurrection is what happens when somebody dies on this side of life and is brought back to life on the side of life. That fellow will die again. So his resurrection is temporary because he's going to die again. Then spiritual resurrection is what happens when somebody was spiritually dead. That is, he was dead in sin. That is, he could sin and not even bother that he's committing sin. But he has now been brought back. He's been quickened. He's been raised back, as it were, to spiritual life, where he now has the life of God in him through the agency of repentance for sin and, of course, the action of the Holy Spirit upon his spirit man on the inside. So let's move to permanent resurrection, which is the discussion we want to have today. Permanent resurrection is what the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead is focusing on. We discuss the issue of temporary resurrection, the issue of resuscitation, the issue of revival, so that we can eliminate any confusion that wants to arise. So when we talk about the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, our focus is actually on permanent resurrection not on temporary resurrection, but we mention those ones so that we will not be confused. Also, it's important to note that temporary resurrection reveals the power of God and the authority that God has over death, which means God can bring somebody who has died back to life on this side. It also shows that the God who has the power to do that can also raise the dead in the afterlife. Temporary resurrection is usually beneficial to people who died without Christ. Because when you die without Christ, you are going to hell. And raising that person back gives the person another opportunity to ensure that when he dies, finally, he doesn't go to hell. Now, when a person who is born again dies, the fellow goes to heaven. And so it will be counterproductive to bring the person back to this side of life. There's a story I heard of. A young lady had died and the father had called for someone to raise her back to life. And as the fellow was praying, seeking God to bring the young lady back to life, suddenly they heard this man start saying, oh, please, let me come, let me come, let me come. Eventually, when the prayer ended, the man told the girl's parents, your daughter is in a better place. If I, when I saw the place, I wanted to go there. I was told that it's not yet my time to go. So the parents understood why he was saying, please, let me come, let me come, let me come. So for a believer, when you die, there is no need asking that they should raise the fellow back unless you are not sure if the fellow died in Christ. So permanent resurrection should not be confused with what happens after a person dies and leaves the earth permanently. Again, that's another thing that I want to clear here. When a person dies and leaves the earth, what has happened is there is a separation of his spirit and his soul from the body or what we call the remains. The body or the remains is left here and is buried here. Even if the fellow died in a plane crash or a place where you cannot pick any of the pieces of the body, that body remained here. So the what had gone away from here, either to heaven or to hell, as the case may be, is just the spirit and the soul. The body is still here. So we must never confuse a resurrection with 
the situation where the person has left here and has gone to hell or heaven. No, that's not resurrection. The person is not resurrected yet. The fellow is just waiting as it were. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that there are people who are waiting. God is not going to do anything until we come also. So there are people who are already gone before us. They are waiting there. They are the cloud of witnesses waiting until our own turn comes and the turn after us if Jesus tarries. Resurrection is therefore what happens when the spirit and soul that has left is again reunited with the body that remains here on the earth. That is when we say permanent resurrection has taken place. The fellow has died, has gone. Peter made allusion to that in Acts chapter 2 when he was preaching and said, David, his tomb is still here with us. So yes, David may be in heaven, but he is not yet resurrected. His spirit and his soul are there. All right. But his remains are here on the earth. Just like many people that we know who have gone, we say he's gone to be with the Lord. But he has not yet been resurrected because his body is here. Resurrection is about reuniting the spirit and the soul with the actual body that the fellow had here on earth. If the fellow died in a plane crash or his remains were scattered or he was decapitated or some horrendous thing happened to the fellow at the resurrection. That body will again reunite with the spirit and his soul. At that point, permanent resurrection has taken place, which is what the doctrine of resurrection is about. It's about the reuniting of the spirit and the soul with the body. In Luke chapter 24, verse 36 to 43, speaking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as they said these things, the disciples who had been on the road to Emmaus, who had now discovered that the Lord had been raised, went back and told the rest. And so the Bible says, now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. That's important. Remember we said it is reuniting the spirit and soul with the body. And Lord said, I am whole and complete. Spirit, soul, and body. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So you say to them, This is scripture in fulfillment, that I have been raised up, spirit, soul, and body. I am resurrected. Let us now dive into the doctrine of resurrection proper. First Corinthians chapter 15. And I'll be reading verse 20 to 24. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, for the Bible, the Christian does not die. The Christian falls asleep. That is the body of the Christian is at rest. The spirit and the soul have gone to be with the Lord. But the body is at rest. So the scripture is said to have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Sin entered through Adam, and through Adam men began to die because of Adam's disobedience to God, because of his rebellion against the instruction that God had given. So people die. Now, through Christ, 
all are made alive. All are brought back to life. But each one in his own order, there's an order, there's a way that this would happen. Christ, the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. We are not discussing eschatology, we just want to discuss resurrection of the dead. What we want to draw out here is that this permanent resurrection, when it takes place, there is an order or a chronology or an arrangement or ranking of resurrection. The first to be raised back to life is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the first fruit. Now, that has already happened. That has already taken place. That took place some 2,000 years ago. It happened three days after he was crucified. He arose again from the dead, spent some time here on the earth before ascending to heaven where he is now permanently. The second in rank, the second set of people to be resurrected in this order are those who are Christ's. In verse 23 of First Corinthians 15, afterwards, those who are Christ's at his coming, those who are in Christ or those who died in Christ, that's when they died, they were in Christ at their death. They will now be the second set of people to be resurrected at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. At his coming, that's the second coming. Now, in this category of people, there are people who will be in Christ at that time who will still be alive. Now, they are not going to be resurrected because they didn't die. But they are going to be raptured. That is, they are going to be caught up along with those resurrected. We are not discussing the people who are going to be caught up. We are discussing the people who will be raised back. It is at this second coming that all those who have died in Christ and are resting in heaven will now be reunited with their remains here on the earth. Those remains will get up from wherever they are. God will bring them together and will reunite them with the spirit and the soul. When we discuss eternal judgment by the grace of God, we'll be able to see that the basis of resurrection is judgment. But we'll get to that later. The third set of people in the order of that resurrection are those who died without Christ. All those who die without Christ are in a place we call hell. The Greek call it Hades. And it is where the people who died without Christ are kept. They will be raised at a time after Christ has reigned for 1,000 years on the earth. Again, like I said, we're not discussing eschatology, so we're not going into that depth. But there's going to come a reign of peace on the earth here. And at that time, those who were in Christ, who were raised back to life at the second coming of Christ, will reign with him at that time. Actually, the second coming of Christ is in two parts. Like I told you, we're not discussing eschatology. The first part is when he comes to take his sins away. The second part is when he comes physically and steps his feet on the earth to rule and reign over the earth for 1,000 years. Now, the people who come third, the people who die without Christ, are going to be raised at the end of that millennial reign, that 1,000 years of Christ. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. And we dig a little bit more there. Revelation chapter 20. And I'm going to read verse 4 to 6 in the first instance. And then I'll read from verse 11 to verse 15. Verse 4 to 6. This is John in heaven. And this is what he saw. He wrote, he said, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them. And judgment was committed. We're going to come back to this verse of scripture when we discuss eternal judgment. And judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness 
to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their heads. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Remember, I mentioned the millennial reign. It's referring to the millennial reign at this point in time. So many things are actually happening in that one verse, but we're not going to discuss them so that we don't get confused. But verse 5 now says, But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. That's what I mentioned. The rest of the dead, that is those who died without Christ, they did not live again. They still remain there until the 1,000 years reign of Christ is over. The Bible says this is the first resurrection. Which one is it referring to now? The resurrection of those people who died in Christ is also referred to as the first resurrection. Anybody who died in Christ, when he is raised back, that second order of resurrection is what is referred to here as the first resurrection. It's the resurrection of the believers in Christ. It is also called the resurrection of the believers in Christ. We'll spend some time looking at some of those things as we go ahead. So all those who died in Christ and whose bodies were buried here or bodies were scattered here on the earth, but their spirit and soul are in heaven, who will be raised with their bodies. And this is that people refer to as coming at the time of the first resurrection. Now in verse 6 it says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So that first resurrection accomplishes two things. The first one is they will be judged, but not the kind of judgment that many people think. It's a different kind of judgment. We'll discuss that when we discuss eternal judgment. And then after their judgment and everything, at which point rewards are given to those people, then they will return with Christ onto the earth where Christ will physically reign from Jerusalem and will reign over the whole earth. There will still be people on the earth who are not of Christ. Like I said, it's not eschatology we want to discuss, but they'll be there. And these people who are raised, the Bible says, over such, the second death has no power. So there are two deaths. There's a physical death that we die here, and there's a second death. Now let's go to verse 11 and read to verse 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Now, let me explain this a little bit. There are two books. We're going to discuss this more when we discuss eternal judgment. But there are two kinds of books being opened here. There's the book of life and there are a volume of books. These people who are going to be raised at this time are the people who will be judged out of the books, not the book of life. When we get to eternal judgment, I'm going to explain deeper the difference between the book of life and the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades, the old King James should have hell, delivered up the dead who were in them. So every place where dead bodies are, those bodies will raise up. The bodies that nobody can find today, maybe they were killed and buried in some location, nobody can trace them, nobody knows where they are, those bodies will be raised. Those who died at sea, that fish ate and whatever, the bodies will come together. Those who died at war, where bombs blasted them and tore their bodies to pieces, those bodies will come back together. That is the power of God. He will bring all those bodies back. The Bible says the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them. So death that took people who are not of Christ, he has taught them. There are some people who are stored in hell, this Hades. And these two are actually demons. Death is a demon, Hades is a demon, and they are able to keep those souls 
in them. But at this time, they will give up those spirit and souls so that their bodies will be reunited with them again. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Again, like I said, when we come to eternal judgment, we will discuss that fully. Then death and Hades, after they have offloaded their captives, their prisoners, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death that was talked about in verse 6. That says that all those who taste of the first resurrection will never go to the second death. In verse 15 it says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So anybody who died without Christ will be raised at this resurrection. This is the final resurrection. After this, there is no longer going to be any resurrection at all. So what you have here is that all those who have died without Christ, they've died, they've gone. All those who die today, tomorrow, whenever, without Christ, their bodies are buried here, but their spirit and soul, they've gone to Hades, where they are kept in captivity by these demons. They are going to be raised at this time. And this time will be after the millennial reign of Christ. These people, because they lived outside of Christ, they will experience or they will taste and live in the second death. The second death is actually an eternal separation. Eternal means a separation forever from God. And they will be in the lake of fire, which is also called hell. There are two words that the Bible translators call hell. There's Hades and there's Gehenna. Hades is a spirit being, like I said, that is holding captive the spirits and souls of those who died without Christ. Anybody who died in Christ, Hades cannot touch. Death cannot touch. Only Christ can receive those people. Because he said so in John chapter 4. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. I go there to prepare a place for you. When it is ready, I will come and take you. So Christians don't go through this process of Hades or death. No, Christians, as the Bible says, they fall asleep. Christ comes to take his own home. Something will kill them. Something will make them leave this world. But it is Christ who takes them home. With whatever form of death they go through. Then there's Gehenna. Gehenna is what is described there as the lake of fire. It's like a lake. Fire everywhere. The fire is never quenched. And there are worms in that place. The worms never die. When we discuss eternal judgment, we'll probably talk more on it. But the worms and the fire keep burning the body. You see, the body we are going to receive at each of these resurrections, is the same body, but it is now incorruptible. That is, it does not decay. So for those who will be thrown into hell, the bodies will be burning, but will never be consumed. They will feel the pain. Worms will enter the body. As the worms are entering and poking and doing everything, the bodies will still remain there. So those bodies will be there to feel the pain. The spirit can't feel that kind of pain, but the body can so the body is there to feel the pain. The body of those who get through the first resurrection are also given to enjoy what God wants to give them. This physical body cannot enjoy what God's going to give. It will disintegrate. So God is going to bring a body that will not be able to disintegrate or decay or degenerate and raise them back to life. Like I said, we'll discuss more of this when we discuss eternal judgment. But it is important to note here that death and Hades actually also go into this lake of fire. Satan also is going into this lake of fire. So basically, there are three resurrections of the permanent sort. There is the resurrection of the first fruit, what I call the first fruit resurrection. This is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has already taken place. He's raised up as the first fruit. In scripture, the first fruit is the first 
fruiting of a tree. It is usually presented to the priest who now does a wave offering and lifts it up to God. Christ is that first fruit. Most of the things you find in scripture are a type of Christ. So the issue of first fruits, even though we can still do it, is no longer a legal requirement. The first fruit has already come and has presented himself. You recall that at one point in time, Christ told Mary Magdalene when she saw him, he said, don't touch me because I've not yet presented myself to the Father. I've not yet gone as a first fruit to the Father. The first fruit actually is usually presented on the day of Pentecost. So it is significant that the day of Pentecost was the day that the Holy Spirit touched down on the earth to begin to come upon people. So Christ is the first fruit. He's the first to be resurrected. After him, there will not be other resurrections. The next resurrection, like we said, in line is the first resurrection, which we also saw described in the book of Revelation. It is also the resurrection of believers in Christ. The first fruit resurrection is the resurrection of Christ. It has already taken place. The first resurrection is the resurrection of believers in Christ. It will not take place until the second coming of Christ. All those who will be resurrected at the second coming of Christ are people who died in Christ. That is, they belong to Christ. They were born again, sanctified. They served the Lord. They are resurrected at this time. That is the time of the second coming when Christ will come in the air. Let's look at First Thessalonians chapter 4 from verse 13 to 17. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Remember I told you, Christians don't die, they fall asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. When a Christian dies, we celebrate that Christian because we know that he is rested from his labors here and has gone to be with the Lord to continue to rest until the time of the resurrection. In verse 14, he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, the resurrection of Christ is so significant to our belief system that if Christ did not resurrect, we have no belief system. There's no Christianity if Christ did not resurrect. That's why the message of salvation is not complete if it does not include the resurrection of Christ. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Like I said, there's an order. And in this order, it says, the people who first of all meet with Christ are those who have died. Those who are still alive and in Christ, they will not go ahead of those who have died in Christ. In verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. In verse 17 says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. The word for that caught up is raptured. Shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So at the catching up of these people, something extraordinary is going to happen. Blood is going to drain from those bodies because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. So they will be drained of blood and they will be lifted up to be with Christ. For those who are alive, it's not a resurrection. It is a rapture that has taken place. But for those who die, it is a resurrection. Those who are alive, after all those who died in Christ have been reunited with their bodies, will be caught up and they will be with the Lord. 
Now let's go to Second Thessalonians because there seemed to have been an issue here and Paul needed to mention some more things about it. Because some people were saying that resurrection had already taken place. And he said, no, it hasn't happened. Anyway, let's read chapter 2 from verse 1. Probably read the whole chapter. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. It has not come. She said, I don't want you to be shaken. Whether somebody sent you a letter or spoke something to you or a spirit spoke to you, forget it, that day has not come. Then he now goes to verse 3 and says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. There's going to be a falling away. A lot of people who are in Christ will fall away. This is not a falling or a backsliding. No, this is a total falling away. They go away from Christ and become servants of Satan. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. This is the one that is referred to generally as the Antichrist. It's called the man of sin. He's such a sinful man. And over the centuries, when certain leaders arise, people tend to ascribe them as the Antichrist. But they are not the Antichrist. He says, a time is going to come when this man will come, the son of perdition. In verse 1 says, who opposes and exalts himself above all, not some, above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. There's such a man. That man has not yet appeared. That man is going to be so arrogant. He's going to be so powerful. By the time you read the book of Revelations, you will find out that this is somebody who had what you call a fatality in death. But he was raised back and he becomes a world leader. And he's, he claims spiritual authority. Verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. There's something keeping him from manifesting. He says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. His activities are already taking place. The activities of the Antichrist are already at work. There are people who are Antichrist presently on the earth doing things that the Antichrist would want done, but they are not the Antichrist. One time it was Hitler. Another time it was Stalin. At another time it was Napoleon Bonaparte. Even in modern times, some people have said Obama is Antichrist. Some people have even said Donald Trump is Antichrist. Every world leader that people seem to feel that this man doesn't like, they say is anti that is not the Antichrist. Yes, lawlessness is at work in the world. There's no question about it. But the Antichrist has not yet been revealed. He said, only he, if you have the New King James, you will see the he there in capital H. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who is this he? He's referring to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is present on the earth, the Antichrist cannot yet manifest. But when the Holy Spirit leaves this earth, and he's not going to live without the Christians who are on the earth, the Holy Spirit will live at the second coming of Christ. That's when all of that will happen. It is after that that this Antichrist will now be manifest. The Holy Spirit is the one restraining him. You see, when the Spirit of God leaves the earth, we haven't seen lawlessness yet. You will see lawlessness of the greatest heart. You think homosexuality is lawless. You haven't seen anything yet. You think some of the way people are dressing nice. You haven't seen. When you, you people will walk naked on the earth. People will do as they like. That's lawlessness. The only person that will be law will be the Antichrist. You can kill people. It won't mean anything. You can do whatever. You would do as you like. We are seeing a lot of that at work presently in some nations of the world. Particularly the Western nations. And we see a lot even in some developing nations. Or third world nations like they are called. In verse 8, it says, And then the lawless one will be revealed after the Holy Spirit is left. 
whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. I told you the second coming is in two phases. The one that comes to pick up the saints and the one that comes physically on the earth. That last time when he comes on the earth physically, the Antichrist is going to be destroyed. And it's just going to be with the word of his mouth. And the man will be gone. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders. This is why I always want people who are interested in signs and wonders. There are signs and lying wonders. And Satan has the power to do those things. When you read Revelation, you discover that this man of sin will have a prophet who will have the power to make a statue to speak. He will have the power to call down fire from heaven. So if those miracles move you and you're not looking for fruit, you'll be deceived. That's why the Bible says that if it were possible, the very elect will be deceived. Many people have been deceived today because of they're running under everywhere signs and wonders. They don't look for fruit in the man who's walking signs and wonders. And God tells us, test every spirit, whether they be of God. He says, because false prophets... Antichrist are all over. In verse 10 it says, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. These people refused to accept the truth that they might be saved. In verse 11 now says, And for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me stop at verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. So, there is... The first resurrection, it hasn't taken place yet. It will take place when Christ comes. After Christ has come, the man of sin will be revealed. The world will be in turmoil for about seven years. Then Christ will return and reign for 1,000 years. People will still be on the earth at that time. And nobody will die during that reign of 1,000 years. But afterwards, Satan will be released and he will again deceive people. But that's not the discussion for today. Now, the final resurrection, you know, we've mentioned the First fruit resurrection, which is Christ. The first resurrection, which is the resurrection of the believers in Christ. Then you now have the final resurrection, and this will be of all others. This is the resurrection of the unbelievers. Anybody who does not believe in Christ, anybody who has not been saved, is not sanctified by the Spirit and by the Word, you fall into this category of unbelievers. At that point in time, they will be resurrected, but their resurrection is unto eternal judgment. We're going to discuss that after we finish with the doctrine of resurrection of the dead. These are the last set of people that will be raised. I call it the final resurrection. So you have the first fruit resurrection, the first resurrection, and the final resurrection. The first fruit resurrection is Christ, distinct. The first resurrection is of those who died believing in Christ. And those who continue to believe in Christ at his second coming. And then you have the final resurrection. It is of all those who died without believing in Christ. This will happen at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. Now, let's look at a few scriptures as we close. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And we just want to conclude and affirm a few things here. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. He's not talking of resurrection at that time. Everlasting life, first resurrection, resurrection of believers. Everlasting contempt. Final resurrection, resurrection of unbelievers. In John chapter 5, 
the Lord Jesus Christ made a similar statement from verse 28 to 29, 28 and 29. He says, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Earlier, he mentioned those who are spiritually dead, they will hear his voice and they will be raised. That is, they will get born again. Here is talking of those who are in the grave. They will hear his voice. And verse 29 says, And come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So again, we encounter different nomenclatures. The resurrection of life is the same thing as the first resurrection, is the same thing as the resurrection of the believer, is the same thing as the resurrection that takes place at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And is the same thing that those who do good, these are people who are in Christ. Their deeds are good because they are in Christ and they yield to Christ and they submit to Christ and obey him. Everything they do is considered good. Then you have the second group of people. These are people who have done evil. They will be raised to the resurrection of condemnation. Resurrection of condemnation is the same thing as the final resurrection. It's the same thing as the resurrection of the unbeliever. It's the same thing as the third level of resurrection that will come at the end. And these are people who did evil. Because they were not in Christ, everything they did was evil. If you are not in Christ, you are not born again, you are not sanctified, you are not serving as God expects you to serve, Everything you are doing is considered evil because it's not of God. Even those gifts that you are giving to motherless babies is considered evil because the vessel that is doing it is evil. The hand that is bringing it is evil. Can you imagine somebody who has gone to work in the Sokeway pit, has not washed, has done nothing, brings a glass of water to you. Would you take it? You won't, no matter how thirsty you are. Why? He is unclean. So what he has brought is unclean. You can't take it from him. This is the challenge. Of people who are depending on their works to be saved. Your works will not save you. What will save you is the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Let me read in closing John chapter 3 and read from verse 16 to 21. We normally read verse 16, but you see what continues there. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You remember what we said about the resurrection of life and everlasting life from Daniel. All those who believe in Christ as the Messiah, as the Son of God, who are sanctified by the Spirit of God, and are serving Christ, they shall not perish but have everlasting life. In verse 17, it says, For God did not send His Son, that is Him, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He came to save the world. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to bring salvation. He wants all men to be saved. In verse 18, it says, He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. The resurrection unto condemnation. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. That is his condemnation. Because he refused to believe Jesus Christ as the son of God. He refused to believe Jesus Christ as the savior of the world. In verse 19, it goes further. This is the Lord speaking here. And this is the condemnation. This is what they are being condemned for. That the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So they preferred darkness instead of coming to light. They preferred to stay in darkness so they can do the evil they want to do, thinking that the darkness will cover them. They failed to realize that God sees in the thickest of darkness. Again, remember I mentioned books. Those evil deeds are written in books. We are going to discuss that when we come to eternal judgment. Then in verse 20, he says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light. 
and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. You see, when the word of God is preached, it exposes the evil in men's heart. Because the word of God speaks of righteousness. And whether you agree with it or not, your spirit has been programmed to recognize righteousness. But when we refuse it, we shun the spirit. We lock him up. We say, keep quiet. And we go ahead and do what we want to do. Our practice is evil. When you see people pushing the gospel away, it's because their deeds are going to be exposed by the gospel. If you are in a place where they are preaching the word of God and the evil you are doing is not exposed, my brother, you are not hearing the word of God. Every time the word of God is preached, it exposes you. Maybe people don't know what you have done, but you know. The word of God exposes it. In verse 20 says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Final verse 21. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The condemnation of those who are going to be resurrected unto condemnation is because they refuse to accept Christ. And why they refuse to accept Christ? They wanted to continue to do their evil deeds. Because they know that in coming to Christ, their evil deeds will be exposed. They will have to repent. But in not coming to Christ, they can continue to do their evil deeds and be assuaging themselves that they are okay. And that's their condemnation. Because they know, as many people as are listening to me now as are not in Christ, you know that you are living in sin. And that's why you're not coming to Christ. But the moment you accept that this life, I need to change. And you indeed change. Then those things that are evil are exposed to light and the light kills it. Let me tell you a truth today. Sin is like a microorganism that hates exposure to light. In those days, before digital cameras came in, we had films you developed in the dark. Sin is like that. Sin is developed in the dark. Sin thrives in darkness. But the moment you remove the lead on sin and light shines through, it dies. So for you to stop yourself from the light, you have condemned yourself already because what you are saying is, I hate light. I prefer darkness. But once you expose sin, it dies. I know I said this with the last, but let me read Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. The Bible says, he who covers his sins will not prosper. We're not talking of prosperity of money. Will not prosper. You will not have peace. You are not going to go to heaven. You are not going to have anything to do with God. That is true prosperity. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So when the light comes to expose and you say, oh Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Then you will discover that your sins are washed away. Let me read a practical example of this in Psalm 32 from verse 1. David was the one writing here. He said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. In those days, they covered sin. But in our time, it is removed. Sin is taken away. It's not covered. In those days, they covered sin every year. And every year, they will present blood on the ark so that God will overlook their sin. But in our own time, there's nothing like overlooking. Sin is actually destroyed. It's taken away. In verse 2, it says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Brethren, friends, let me tell you the truth. The day you confess your sins, God will forgive you. He will take away that sin, completely wiping it away, and you become a new man. It is from that time on that you now walk with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are given his spirit to sanctify you, to cleanse you, and prepare you for service unto God. On the basis of that, you are a child of God. When you die, 
you die in Christ. At the first resurrection, you'll be raised up without question. So I want to say to you today, if you have not yet surrendered your life to Christ or you did and you have been playing around, this is the day to surrender your life. With this understanding, with this knowledge, you need to know that if you die without Christ, it's gone. It's once and for all. The Bible says, it is appointed unto men once to die. After that is judgment. Once you die, it's finished. It is while the breath of life is in you that you can make amends. I want to encourage you today to surrender your life to Christ. You don't need to recite anything. Let me tell you what to do. In the quietness of your home, you can kneel down in one corner and tell the Lord that you now realize that you are a sinner and that you want his salvation. The one that comes through Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world and the Son of the living God. And that you want him to come and change your life totally and completely and make you a new man. Begin to read your Bible henceforth. Of course, search for a fellowship of Bible believers and hear the word of God. Don't go to those places where they are preaching prosperity. It won't help you. Look for a place where the word of God will be there to comb out some of the debris that are still in you. As the spirit of God is clearing them out of you. And I guarantee you, at the time of the resurrection, you will be amongst the first to be raised if you die in Christ. If you are alive, you'll be amongst those that will be caught up to heaven. By the grace of God, next week we shall discuss a little bit more on this matter of permanent resurrection. Because like I said, this is the essence of the doctrine of resurrection of the dead. Until that time, God bless you and goodbye.